We are the Wanderers of Western Sydney. Hello, I'm Tim Gilbert, a Western Suburbs boy from Guildford and a proud fan. Welcome to our podcast. This is the place to come to hear all the stories from our wonderful football club. Players, coaches, managers, fans. Our featured Wanderers will come in all shapes and sizes and diverse backgrounds. We are a strong club that is on the move and our people have rich and gripping stories to tell. Welcome. Great to have you along for the ride. We are the Wanderers of Western Sydney, and what about our special guest today on the podcast? He's part of the Wanderers family. He played eight games for Australia, but could have played so many more. It's quite an extraordinary story. Today's Wanderer is Jimmy Fraser. We are the Wanderers of Western Sydney, and it's a real treat to have Jimmy Fraser on the line. How are you, Jim? Good, thank you. So you're now working with the Western Sydney Wanderers yes. as goalkeeping coach. Tell us about it. Yeah, look, I was asked to come in and work with the uh, the juniors in the development program at the academy, and um, I'm really enjoying it. 13s through to the 20s I work with. It's in the development area that I really enjoy working with. We get the young boys in, and uh, we've got them for three to five years, so I've got enough time to actually put our method of uh, of goalkeeping principles into into them and uh, and work them through and take them through that development stage, which is pretty tricky. Yeah, I can imagine it would be. It's it's such a different art, isn't it, Jim? Being a goalkeeper. Yes, it is. <laughs> Lots of pressure. Um, so if you split it up, it's there's technical, tactical, physical, psychological, and body maintenance. And if you break those components down, um, the psychological area is by far the biggest area for us to work in. So, you know, keep teaching them to catch the ball, kick the ball, all those technical things, teaching them the tactics of the games, getting them physically prepared is, is all difficult. But the psychological area of, you know, putting them in a situation where they've got to make decisions under pressure, we're taking them through when they've made mistakes and they're disappointed in how they play and taking them out the other side of that and, and, you know, getting them an understanding of the fact that, you know, they are going to make some mistakes as they develop. We've all done it, but you've got to put your mistake behind you in the game and get on with it. And the big thing with that is, of course, we've got to take the emotion out of it. So I don't talk to players after the game about their mistakes. We leave it till the, the one or two days later when we train. When there's no emotion there, and then we can talk to them and point out where the, where the problem areas are and solve the problem. One of the things about being a goalkeeper in this game that we love football is that some games will deliver just a couple of moments for a goalkeeper. Sometimes a, a, his role or her role is very minimal, but so crucial. At that time, yeah. Look, it, it's that, that concentration level is uh, so important, and you know, keeping yourself in the game is important. So, connecting with your defence all the time, giving good instructions, that keeps your concentration level up. So, you're in a situation there where if you keep yourself in the game, um, you're reading the game all the time, you're multitasking. It's easier to concentrate rather than just standing and watching the game. So, we've got to get away from watching and being totally involved, even though we haven't got a lot of action. Is that the greatest danger for a goalkeeper, at, particularly at a junior level, to, to fall into a, a, a let's watch the game kind of mentality? Oh, absolutely. Ball watching is very, very, very difficult. And that's we, we, we can't have a lot of exercises where we, we get that total involvement in the game. So we do isolated training on techniques. But we also do a lot of game training where in small areas that they've got to make decisions and they're under pressure continually. And you can't expect young boys to concentrate for a full 60 minutes to start with. 
It takes time and they will have concentration levels, but by teaching them to be involved in the game, by giving good directions throughout and, and, and calling on their players to, to do certain actions, that keeps them in. And as I say, it, it expands their concentration, but it's difficult. I, I went from um, a club when I was, um, I was actually in the national team when this happened and I was playing with a club called Polonia where I was under pressure the whole time. We ended up getting relegated from the, the, the because we we're at the bottom of the, 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 the ladder. But I was under pressure every match where I'd make 10 or 15, maybe 20 saves, and I was continually involved. And I transferred to St George when uh, Polonia was relegated. We had 10, um, eight World Cup players and 10 internationals in the team. Boy. So I went from having 10, you know, 10, 15, 20 shots a match to maybe one or two. And it was actually much harder to do that. I had to adjust to that. It was very difficult for me. And what did you put in place for yourself to stay on ball? I, look, I, I used to try, because I was small, I had to do something a bit different from everybody else because um, I was very small for a goalkeeper. So I, I used to um, play out up high. They call, talk about sweeper keepers. Well, I was doing that 40 years ago. In fact, I can remember... Um, an article, one of the reporters told me that I should learn that I'm not, I'm not a centre-half, that I should stay on the goal line. Uh, but I used to play up quite high and be involved and, and use my feet and play the ball. But I was very fortunate at St George because we had um, so many good ball players who were looking for the ball. So if I got the ball, I could, I could always have a, a, an option of where to pass the ball to. So it was easier for me. So that was a good part of, of, of the, the St George situation, that there were so many good players. I could play up high and I could concentrate a lot easier uh, because I was so involved in the game. What an extraordinary team that was when you reflect on it. Oh, yeah, it was. A, well, it was Tell a bulk a bit of the about night, you know, Johnny Warner, I love, And I love Johnny Warren. I worked with him a lot in radio. God rest his soul in the old days. Yeah. And and I, I, I only saw him as a, as a media operator. I could tell his poise and his expertise there, but you were with him. Tell us about that team. Tell us about that club team, that mighty club team. Well, the club was virtually Johnny Warren, and it was on and off the field because, you know, John was the best captain I ever played under because he was a captain on and off the field. And, and when a player came to the club, uh, John made sure he settled in right. He followed them in, 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 in their private life and helped them through difficult situations that we all have, trying to combine jobs and football, etc. And, you know, I can remember when I broke my hand and they thought I wouldn't play again and I, I got loaned out to another club and he was on the phone to me every week. I mean, there was no mobiles in those days, but he rings through and see how I was going and, you know, send me a, a note every now and then. You know, we were very close. I was one of the pallbearers at his, his, his funeral. But, you know, he was just a, a very unusual man, very thoughtful guy understood the game, understood the politics. You know, if we'd have taken a little bit more notice of some of the things he said 30 years ago, we would have been a lot better off. He, he, he was well above himself as far as his ideas and putting them into place. Brilliant man. And, and he was a brilliant man, a brilliant player. But he was one of a number of really talented players, as you mentioned before, half that 1974 World Cup side. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Adrian Alston, Idea Bondi, um, Dougie Uchazanovich, Manfred Schaefer, I mean, these are all great players wow. all in one team. But the, the thing John said, I said to him once, why has St George been so successful for so long? He said, well, when we do our recruiting, we look at players' personalities and how we think they'll fit into the club with their style of fit and, and you know, um, we do all our homework beforehand and it seemed to work very well. But there was this immense pride in being a St George player. I can remember once where a club made an offer to buy me and I just said, I'm not going, I'm a St George player. And there's no chance in the world I was going to go. But it, it was it, it it was this pride in being a St George player and, and what the club had done and 
the the comradeship that was there. I mean, we didn't start training until six. I was there at four thirty with Oddie and Johnny and and Adrian, and we used to play in those days uh, twenty cents a shot. You know, if they beat me, I had to pay them twenty if I if I saved it. We <laughs> and then we settle up at the end of the week, and we do that for an hour and a half before training. It was just brilliant. That's the sort of thing that happened at that club, and everybody got on. It was just a great club. And there wasn't much money about, was there? No, 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 no. Actually, somebody asked me the other day, you know, would I rather play now when the big money was on? And I said no because of the friends I made in that time. And it's um, it was a different era, no social media, of course. And, you know, we're all mates and it, it showed on and off the field because of that. So the money wasn't important in, the, in in those days, really. Yeah, absolutely. And what was a typical day, like when you when you think about it? Because you were all holding down jobs. Uh, you, you went into yeah. private business yourself. It was yeah. a busy life. Oh, look, I left the police force and went into a trucking business and then into a security business. So, I mean, I can remember being at St George where I used to get up in the morning at four o'clock and I'd go and pick up a load of turf, take it to a building site. I'd work on the building site till three and then I'd drive up to Walton's at um, Parramatta, pick up a load of fridges, drop them back to Burwood and then go to training. <laughs> that was a, that was my day. <laughs> we trained four nights a week. But everybody, I'm like Manfred Schaefer was a milkman. He had two two milk runs that were combined. He, he virtually ran a marathon every morning to do his deliveries milk. <laughs> it was a long day. And then and then <clears throat> train. And then we train after that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you remember with such a which, with a warm glow that period? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It was the best. You know, people couldn't wait to get to training, and you know it was. Everybody was mates and it was good. And, you know, the um, Thursday night, the second grade to play the first grade, the second grade usually won because they kicked the hell out of us. And it was good. And the, and the coach got involved and it was just a good atmosphere on and off the field. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty magical time because with the World Cup eliminations were on at that time and we were all involved. And, um, yeah, the good memories. One of the great quotes I heard was basically, never be scared of failure, but be horrified of regret. And, if you look at your career, you didn't really hit the first grade ranks till you were 22. You, you you had to keep knocking down doors, didn't you? Because there was a there was one guy in particular in front of you. Ronnie Corey, and mm. he still calls me number two. <laughs> wow. He, refer, he refers to me as number two, and he said, I'm a failure because I'm only the second shortest goalkeeper to play for Australia who was the shortest. <laughs> um, so, um, look, yeah, it was. I mean, look, he was better than me. So I was his reserve in the um, in, in in South Sydney. I had to move to Polonia to get a job. Got my place in the first grade there, and then I was in the national team. And I sat on the bench for him probably I don't know twenty seven times, twenty eight times maybe at, at national level. I couldn't get a game, and the reason I couldn't get a game, he was better than me. I had to wait my turn. So um, yeah, I, I got there late, and then I got injured early. I got um, I uh, got a, a shoulder injury, and that I I'd never recovered from. I played, yeah, mm. I, I played on for a about six months, but I never recovered from it, and that was me finished. I was only 25, I think, 26 maybe. So, and that's when but I got into great, coaching. Yeah, it's a great message though, isn't it, when you mention, you know, sitting on that on that Australian bench for that length of time and, and you openly admit that he was better than you. But um, that's a great lesson for young people, isn't it, to be persistent, to be resilient, and, and that success yeah, sort of comes to, when... It's a matter of sometimes you're not ready. Um, and if I'd have got the, guy, the, the call earlier, I might not have been um, successful when I did play. So um, it was a matter of, you know, I served my apprenticeship over a long period of time. And Ronnie, Ronnie told me, I remember him telling me, you won't get the shirt till I'm ready. But he actually was my first coach, goalkeeper coach. So he's, he's Ronnie's seven years older than me. And 
when he was 19 and playing third grade for Canterbury, I was playing under 12s and he coached me. And I remember him saying one day, we were walking down to the, the, the goals and he said, um, we're going to play in the national team together. And we ended up rooming together in the national team, which was pretty special. Mm. So, you know, that, that sort of thing. And it's like, that's a friendship that's lasted until now. I mean, I speak to Ronnie three or four days a week. Do you remember when you fell in love with the game? Yeah, I remember the first time I ever kicked the ball. On the, I was at Summer Hill Primary School and um, the boys were playing um, football. I was with a tennis ball, soccer with a tennis ball. And mm-hmm. I was up the back and there was a guy called Adrian Pollock. He was a, um, I've never seen him since I left school, but he, he was a Scots boy that had come over and he, the ball came to my feet and he said, centre it. I had no idea what that meant. And I can remember standing there thinking, what's he mean? <laughs> but I soon, soon worked it out and anything with the ball I loved, you know, cricket, football, tennis, just loved it. And um, I went down to Halston Park and uh, for my first day down there and uh, in those days, Coaches were a father with a car, and uh, so they all pulled mm-hmm. in the car, and there wasn't enough room for me. And um, I was a new boy, so I was going to be a reserve. And um, I was left behind. And Bill Brackenbury, who was a the CEO down there, threw me a ball. He said, "Go and have a kick." And when I caught it, he said, "I'm going to make a goalkeeper of you." And that was that was my wow. done. Yeah, I was a goalkeeper from then on. We're the West Wanderers of Western Sydney. We're talking to Jimmy Fraser, our goalkeeping coach here. Now, now Jimmy. That 1973 year, you played eight times for Australia all through that period of qualification. Mm. Tell us about it. It was an interesting old ride. I, I came in against Iraq in, in, in Melbourne. I played two A internationals before that, and that was my first World Cup match. And, of course, if we got beat, we were out of the competition. Um, so the pressure was on right from the start. Um, every time we played, but they were a very good team. We drew nil all. That was a round-robin series, and we played um, – another three matches and, and ended up um, moving through that, that round. We beat Iran 3-0 in Sydney, which was a big upset because they expected to win. Mm. Um, when we went over there, we had a 3-0 lead and it was on aggregate, so they had to score three to equal. What was that like over feet in Tehran? Ah, oh, unbelievable. 3,000 feet above t- uh, sea level. They 3,000, uh, 10,000 people met us at the airport protesting and, 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 and screaming and carrying on and... Um, the uh, when we got to the ground, somebody the car tried to run us off to the ground on the way to the um, wow. the game. Uh, we got to the game and rally made us walk through the crowd instead of taking the security entrance. He said, "I need you to get used to this before you go in." There's over a hundred thousand people. When we came out, there was a, a, a moat around the ground, soldiers with submachine guns, very intimidating. And um, I always remember the, the before the match, I, I, we. They played the national anthem. I looked down the line just before they played it, and our body language was terrible. Everybody was intimidated, and uh, the national anthem played. And by the end of the anthem, everybody was standing upright and ready to go. And I, I said then to myself, "We're going. We're, we're right here." But we're down two nil after probably fifteen minutes. So one more goal means it's a replay. Um, we held on for the next, um, you know, seventy-five minutes or so. And um, we, we got beat 2-0, but 1-3-2 in aggregate. But it was just, I loved it. I, I just I just loved that atmosphere, crowd, intimidating as it was. Um, it was great. And, and the, the bond between the boys, that's where all that friendship, you know, shows when you're under that sort of pressure and you're actually playing for each other. And, um, you know, all those boys, they wanted that shirt badly and um, they were going to keep it. It was just, that, that, that was probably... Uh, that and the, the match in Hong Kong where we actually, uh, we, we played Korea after that. Um, we drew the law in Sydney 
uh, drew in uh, two nil, two all in uh, in Seoul, and then we played the, the replay in Hong Kong, and we scored in about I think a seventy something minute, and the last fifteen minutes, the longest fifteen minutes of my life, I think it was unbelievable. Oh, just you know, waiting for that whistle to go. <laughs> yeah. What was what was it like? Just going back to Tehran for a moment. What was it like yep. for you to see two goals go in the first fifteen minutes? That must have been a pretty long. Hour or yeah, so. it was, but you know, it's it was funny because they targeted me when they got there, and I it, it, I don't know whether you remember there was there used to be a football paper called the, the Green Paper, it's like a mm. world program. It was always printed on green green paper, and they used to score your players out of five. So uh, one was a bad game, two was a, 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 a good game, three you'd played really well, and four five nobody got a five. It was four, usually four. And I went over and they targeted me and they used to line up before we went on the ground and they'd be saying, Fraser four, Fraser four. And I thought, gee, this is not good. But I programmed myself that they'll give me four points every time. So yeah. I was going to have a good match. And, you know, I, I played okay. So that was good. But that, that was one of those things where I was able to turn that into an advantage that they actually programmed me into playing, uh, well because of the fact they targeted me. But that's part of being a goalkeeper. You get targeted, you get sledged, you get all that sort of stuff to try and put you off, and you've got to just, you know, build a wall. Um, and uh, the, the way to beat them is to play well. So that that, that mental toughness is, is a very big part of our game. You referred to Rally Rasik. What was he like as a coach? Um, look, Rally's, um, Rally was progressive to the point where him, him and Frank Arrop, I believe, brought professional football to Australia, um, in my opinion. Uh, they brought in new training methods. They put us in a situation where they um, uh, they they had lots of information about opposing teams they um, that we'd never had before. Uh, for instance, when we played against Korea, um, they had a, a guy up front, Shabum, who actually went and played in the Bundesliga. He's very successful. He was the first Korean to go over and play in that German league, and we knew that he always turned to the left. And he turned left three times, and I was out right on him and, and, and outside the the, 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 um, the penalty area and got him as he turned. Now, I would never have had that information before that. So Rally was always progressive, and he'd sit you down and talk to you, and he built that team from, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realise we only missed out in the previous World Cup by one goal. Um, mm. Uncle Joe Blassett was the coach. So Rally came in, he took it over. He's only 36 years old. And he, he was progressive. He was, he was arrogant. He was dominant. It was all, all the things he had to do to make the team work. And it did. He's, um, he was, he was well ahead of his time. Obviously him and Johnny worked well together. Yeah, they did. They, they worked well together. And that was very hard for John because John had come back from a cruciating injury. He was the first one to, to make a recovery from that. And he expected to come back in and be captain. And, um, Rally had made Peter Wilson captain. You know, Johnny, you know, regarded himself as as the captain, and and that would have been hard for him. But John was very professional and went through all that, and, and Rally nursed him through that 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 time. And um, you know, Rally look, Rally was very abrasive sometimes with with his attitude, but he did that because he he, he wanted to get the best out of people, and he did. I mean, he was successful for a long period of time, and for for us to qualify. In the way we did, because I mean, the FFA didn't have a FFA, sorry, didn't have a lot of money at the time. You know, football was was way down the list on 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 publicity and papers and television at that time. So you know, when Rally came in, he stirred all up and he got plenty of publicity with what he did. And you know, he uh, he certainly put us in a situation where he gave us the best opportunity to to, to play well with all the information he gave us, the training he gave us, and the the, the confidence he had in us.
Mm, yeah, he, he certainly put the game on the map, didn't he? Football on the map in Australia. He did. He did at yeah. that time, he did. With, along with others. Yeah. Oh, look, uh, Les Shrinford, you know, unbelievable. You know, he was the assistant coach, and Les went on and, and did so many things with World Cups. I mean, he's taken more teams to World Cups than any other coach in the, in the world at different levels. I can't remember. I think it's 15. He took the finals. That's unbelievable. So, mm. you know, the, we, we had some a very strong uh, coaching fraternity at that time. What about? 1974, because, you know, we can all look back with regret at moments uh, or times or things mm. that happen or decisions we are forced to make or have to make. But here you were, you mentioned before it was only a short career really at the top because of injury. Yep. But this was a bit odd, wasn't it, or quirky, shall I say, in, in, in your story because you actually had to make a decision not to go to Germany. Yeah, yeah. I wake up every morning and think about that. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring it up. up. Yeah, no, that's everybody does. Um, it's part. It's part of the the the, the story. And um, look, I I was I had a security company. I was in partnership. My partner. Every time I went away with a, a team, the business lost money and lost jobs. And he put some money into the place, though so he wanted results. Um, he didn't understand football. Didn't care less about it. Um, every time I went away, because the, the the business was under pressure, my wife was the one that uh, was getting a lot of pressure at the time as well. So um, when it was time to go to Germany, the business partner said, look, I'm going to sue you if you go. You're going to lose your house. Uh, right. My wife was upset because she'd been in a bad situation. There was a, a bit of a, a depression. A lot of our work was building sites. We had the markets at Flemington and the, a lot of those big building sites. And a lot of, out of the 150 guys, probably six of them were permanent. A lot of them were going to lose their jobs if I went, because you know some of the, some of the the uh, the people we contracted to were saying, "No, this this can't happen." So there was all those pressures. So in, in finally, I made the decision not to go. Right or wrong, um, yeah, I regret it in a lot of ways. But if I had to make the same decision again at the time, because you know it, was, it wasn't a matter of just the money. I mean, I wanted to go. But there were so many things that, that, that just made it impossible. And in fact, Manfred Schaefer nearly didn't, never, never, never nearly went because he, you know, um, he was in a situation where he had the same situation where, um, you know, if he didn't go, somebody else had to do the work and would the money be there, et cetera. It was, you know, there were all sorts of pressures that we had at that time. So, um, yeah, I made the decision that I've, I've explained it a, a million times, I suppose. Uh, mm. It doesn't worry me now. It used to worry me. But, um, look, it's, it's, it's part of the football history, so the story needs to be told, and that's my reason for it. Yeah, you know what, and it's a really important anecdote, and I'm sure I'm not the first to say this, of, of how things were different back then to what they are now and the opportunities young people have got now, particularly in this game and, and other sports in this country, where they don't have to make those sacrifices. Well, I mean, look, I think we've got something like... Um, $36 or something for all the, the, the lead-up matches and, and going away. There was no money in it, and it wasn't that we played for money. We played for the shirt. But, you know, bottom line is we still had to survive. And incidentally, my partner sued me. I lost my house anyway over that. Yeah, yeah. And we went to court and I lost the house. But, I mean, that's, you know, one of those things where, um, you know, it's a long time ago. I've got, got over it as far as a financial situation. This is the beauty of Australia. You can start again, can't you? Mm. But emotionally, it, it certainly took some some getting over. And of course, you know, being asked for it, it was still raw for a long period of time. But I've been lucky because the boys always include me in everything that happens. You know, I'm always considered part of the team. So um, I've never been excluded from anything that's happened since. So um, it's um, it's history and it's it's done. And 
can't change it. But you know, as I say, if I had to make the same decision under the same circumstances, I'd, I'd do the same again. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty vision, isn't it? That's what they always it say. Is. But what, what, yeah, what, what right. about the Wanderers? We're, we're a young club, had success, an enormous future, isn't it? The facilities are phenomenal, um, world best. Look, I, I, look, the facilities are unbelievable, but, but the academy is something really special. Mm. Ian Crook in charge of the academy. Patrick's Farm Dykes come in to, 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 to mediate between the, um, the, the, the academy and, and, and the, um, the first team, which is great. He'll keep an eye on things from the, the, the 90s, the 20s and the first grade playing in the NPL. The academy setup's the best I've ever been involved with. And I know a bit about academies because I run one for 12 years, a goalkeeping academy. So I know how they should work. And this is brilliant. I, I, I love coming to work. I, look, I live down at Shell Cove. It's an hour and a half to me to get here. So, but I don't, I don't care. I just want to be part of it. It's um, it's one of those things where every time you come in, you feel good about being here. And that was before we got into these good facilities. When we were training on parks at Homebush or, you know, wherever, we had to, you know, they had to find a park to train. But it's always been the same atmosphere and the the planning that's gone in and the culture that's being developed is just unbelievable. And it's just something that, you know, I want to be part of. I, you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be transferred from here to the nursing home, but, you know, uh, eventually. Oh, Jimmy, that'll be a few years away. Well, I have so, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if somebody said to me the other day, well, how do you keep up your enthusiasm? It's not a matter of keeping it up. I, I just can't wait to get here. So it's, it's, it's got that culture, that positive environment. And it's, it's the coaches are all working together to produce good players. And, and, you know, as I say, everybody said the AIS was good. And I did a lot of coaching down at the AIS, um, over a period of time. But I, I think this is the best I've ever been involved with. It's very, very productive. There's a lot of foresight in what they're planning. They're selective in, in, in with, with the players, get a fair go. They don't just bring them in and, and, and chaff them out. There's not a, a big churn rate. They're careful with who they bring in. You know, they let the kids settle in and, and don't put too much pressure on them early. It's just a good place to be. And for young players, the, the opportunity to be here um, is sensational. That's the thing, isn't it? The finally, just, just on that point, being a Western Suburbs boy myself, having grown up in a household of six kids in Guildford, wonderful parents gave us every opportunity. But for other young kids these days in the western suburbs of Sydney who have a passion and a love for football, here is a Disneyland, a wonderland that they can get involved with. Absolutely. And, and, and the, the opportunity to progress, to be nurtured through, um, given the right direction, um, with the opportunity to become a, 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 an A-League player. Uh, and look, you know, the, we've got players that, that, um, that have left and gone to other clubs. And this is the thing, we produce a lot of good players. Then they, um, it, it's competitive when, when they get to the top end, 18s, 20s. It's competitive, but they're given opportunities and they're given the groundwork, the basis in all the different aspects of, of, of coaching to be professional footballers and be successful. And that comes from, from, from through here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're very lucky to have you, Jim. Uh, today's Wanderer, Jimmy Fraser. Thanks for having a chat. My pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. For more information on the club, visit wswanderersfc.com.au. We will be back soon with another story from one of our Wanderers of Western Sydney.